You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Today's guest is Stephen Petaskey. He is the CEO and founder of the Lexus Group with offices in Canada, US, and Italy. And over the last 15 years, Steve has been on a journey to help others find their why and discover how luxury vacation real estate can enrich their lives. Relationship building is one of Steve's true strengths, and the Lexus Group came together and has thrived based on strong relationships. All right, let's get into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. I'm so excited to welcome Stephen to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me on the show, Eric. This is going to be a total treat. And uh, thanks again for having me here. Yeah, really excited to chat a little bit. And uh, before we get into what you're doing now, take me back to kind of like early childhood. Like We like to get a sense of what the dream was as a kid because you know, with everybody, I can't imagine that the thing you're doing now is the thing that in kindergarten you said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. You know what? It's actually funny timing and is that we, I'd never really kind of told a story to be perfectly honest. My wife has a podcast as well. And after two years and 200 episodes, she finally convinced me to tell my story. And I just did it like a few days ago. Okay. So it's fresh in my mind about all these memories from childhood. But the short version is, is that my parents um, had me as uh, teenagers. So I was not really a planned pregnancy. They were high school sweethearts and they had a path to get married and have a family. But I don't think at that age, they were really considering starting a a family with me. Right. And uh, they did an amazing job as a family. They're still together. They have a remarkable marriage, but they had nothing to begin with. So the, the best part of my life in early childhood was watching them go from you know blissfully unaware as a as a toddler and growing up through having literally nothing. And then when I was nine years old, I remember coming home one day and um, they were they were building up their careers. And there was someone at the house and that person was filling out paperwork and his papers scattered all over the uh, the table. And uh, I, when the guy left, I asked my parents, I said, well, who's that man? And, and they said, oh, I was actually eight years old, pardon me. And they said, oh, he's the banker. And I said, well, what's, what's a banker? What is a banker? And what's a banker doing here? And I said that, well, he's, uh, we're taking a mortgage out on our house so we can buy a business. Mm. And that was like, I remember like it was yesterday and that's gosh, like 20, you know, 37 years ago or whatever, 36 years ago. But that was the first understanding of entrepreneurship and mm. risk-taking. And my parents started this road of buying into this business and growing their business. So we got to go watch from nothing to something. So at the time, which is interesting, I, from nine years old on, I always believed I'd be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Of course, you didn't really know what that meant to you or what industry or what your passions were. Yeah. But that was the only career I ever knew from a young man. And so uh, from that point on, I just felt like I wanted to own my own business. And then, you know, what what that could be ultimately didn't come to fruition until later in life, but lots of cool opportunities along the way. Yeah, that, that's such a unique experience because, I mean, 
entrepreneurship now, you know, like my, my daughter is four, you know, no. she's going to grow up in a world where everybody and their brother is an entrepreneur. <laughs> like it, it has become, yes. you know, well understood. Well, I shouldn't say deeply understood, but it's a well understood mm-hmm. lifestyle okay. choice. And mm-hmm. as a kid, I mean, even for me, like as a kid, it wasn't an option. Like that wasn't a thing that people talked about. It was like, yeah. go to college, get a really good nine to five and that's yeah. it. Um, so it's really cool that you got that, that, to see that firsthand, watch your parents take those educated risks and to see it, I'm guessing, pay off for them. Uh, it sounds like. Yeah, no, it's been amazing. It's funny you say, you have a four-year-old, that's amazing. I have a 15 and 11-year-old now, but that's all they know. Like it's, yeah, they just right. totally are on the path now. What's a nine to five? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And there's entrepreneur classes in, in junior mm-hmm. high and high school now, let alone oh, college. So for us, you're right. In our generation, it was like, you had to kind of piece it together what it meant to you, but it's definitely a bit more of a, a trend now, but not everyone is you know ready for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And I think that you probably you heard Andy Frisella's podcast and such, and he was, uh, was in a group with them, the Arte Syndicate. And one of the things he shared often, he goes, I never attributed success to um, my success to luck, but I was lucky being uh, raised by entrepreneurial family. And I 100% agree with him. Like the greatest luck I've had in life is being raised by my parents and watching their entrepreneurial journey from like literally zero as in basically broke teenagers to you know, very successful in their careers and their life and their business building. So, you know, it, it's it's a totally different path. And I think if kids can be raised in that environment, whether they choose the nine to five or choose entrepreneurship, I think they'll have uh, more choices in life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. To not just default into whatever society tells you to be like, that's the biggest thing is like, Great. there is another option and it goes beyond just, you know, mushy version that we tell kids, which is like, you can be anything when you grow up without giving any tools to actually be yeah. something when you grow up. I agree. So taking that first step, I mean, what did that look like for you? Was it the real estate space initially, or did you test out a myriad of things like most people do when they first get started? Yeah, great question. Uh, probably a myriad. Within my college years, I ran a couple of small businesses. One was a fun pub crawl business. That was the one, you know, basically rented a yellow school bus and <laughs> brought, sold tickets to my 50 best friends. And got to go to all the bars and roll in with people. And in Canada, the drinking age is 18, not 21. So this could this was a business at 18. Yeah. And uh, it actually was great because you made some cash in your pocket. You were like, you know, the coolest kid around because you ran this thing. Right. And then all the bar owners loved you as well. So you got front of line access. So that was a partial self-serving business endeavor, but kind of my first test of like what it's like. It was never big. We did a number of them, but it was a, a good way to put some cash in the jeans. And then a couple other things along the way, but went to university and then finished. It's a slightly different story because I don't actually have a degree. It's kind of a deep story, but the exit of that, that I rolled into the family business for a period of a decade. And within that Six years into that family business, we started Luxus, which we'll talk about today and kind of that. Um, that's really the my pride and joy. And it's my, the majority of my adult life has been dedicated to this passion, but it was testing different things. So it does pub crawl business. I did some stuff in a retail setting, this grocery store. And those were all things that I learned a lot about operations, learned a lot about hiring people, learned a lot about revenue management, cost control. And I think it all just helped form my path to pursue the Lexus group. Yeah. I mean, obviously you said like Lexus, which I want to talk about in just a second, obviously that's been the thing. Like that's the thing that you got really passionate about. It ended up really locking into place and working well, but you also mentioned all the education from all those other jobs. Like looking back, I know we can't go back in time. Do you (laughs) wish you would have just gone straight into Lexus or do you, do you appreciate all those steps and wouldn't change a thing because of all the learning experiences? Wouldn't to change a thing. All of them gave me the, I mean, there's, Education really comes through experience. I mean, you can only learn so much by 
um, you know, reading a book or listening to a podcast or in a job, you have to have experience along with it as well. And it's the culmination of all those things. You know, it, you can't, it's not one single thing will serve you best. Yeah. It's, so that just takes time on earth and that just takes time exploring. And I think investing your time, I think, as we know, we can lose a lot of time by just binging on Netflix and doing things that are unproductive. But I definitely would say I was pretty, as a productive young man. And in the sense that I just consume knowledge wherever you can get it. Podcasts certainly weren't a thing back then. So I consumed through working, consumed through learning, consumed through uh, doing, and, and all those things just enabled me to launch the Luxus Group in 2007. Without it, like there's zero chance I would have been, would have succeeded. It would have failed because it was a hard enough idea to begin with. And I wouldn't have had the tools to actually effectively execute. And I'm sure I just would have fell down. I Who knows where I would have be, but uh, I'm very glad I didn't fall down. Uh, well, no, I did fall down many times, but I did get back up, fortunately, with the uh, helping hands of many people around me, but we, we've had a good path. Yeah. And you get up faster. I mean, that's the coolest yes. thing. I, I was talking yeah. with somebody just the other day. I was in Cleveland, actually looking at real estate in Cleveland with, uh, with the guy there. And we were going back to the airport and I was like, you know, talking about different times, like things went down to zero. Like it was like, man, this is brutal. <laughs> and I was just yeah. like, it's cool. Cause like, it took me I remember trying to get to like six figures and it took me so long. And mm. I was like, like years of like, how do, how do people do this? Like, how on earth do you do this? That, that would be like amazing. And then yeah. going backwards. And then I told him like, then it took me like six months to get back to that. You know, it was like, and then the next time it was a little bit quicker. And it's like, True. you start building this really good relationship with yourself where you're like, whatever I try, I know I can come back because I have all these skills I've accumulated. And that's, that's really neat. It gives you a lot of confidence in yourself, you know? I agree hundred percent. That's amazing how that confidence creates, you know, courage and creates commitment and, and start taking and more risks. Yeah. Competency. It's kind of like the, yeah. the, the four C's. I think it's the, you got to commit to something, you have the courage mm-hmm. to do it and you've committed and then you get the four C's on courage, commitment, competency. And there's one other one I'm missing, but it's a great segue of the sense of unless you actually do it and step into it and fall down a few times along the way and a few throat punches and everything else, you really can't learn. That is the ultimate of learning. It's like everyone should start some form of business at some point in their lives, whether they're an entrepreneur or not, just to feel it because it's, it really is quite exhilarating and can bring you a lot of value in your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Well, talk to me a little bit about Lexus because I mean, stepping into the real estate space, you know, post 2008 is probably a little bit of a scary thing. What got you into that world? Was it a connection that led you into that? How did that all kind of fall together? So the story goes, uh, and it really was nothing like um, really exciting to start. I was really solving my own personal family's problems. And our, mm-hmm. our issue was, and it's easy to remember the age of my company because it was the year my son was born. So it's our 15 year anniversary this month, last month, month technically. And it was my son's 15th birthday. So that was truly the catalyst that got it all going. We were in a different career and my wife was actually a broadcaster. I was in the family business. Um, we always loved real estate, but we didn't necessarily love real estate from like the perspective of like self-storage or commercial. We loved very, like we liked vacation homes <laughs> because we liked to vacation. My wife and I want loved traveling as we were dating. And when we started to have a family, we did not want to lose that, yeah. that opportunity in our lives. So what we did is uh, um, when we had our first child, we said, well, wh- what are our options now? Yeah. It's definitely, um, you know, babies take kind of the fun out of a hotel room. It's, it's, it's not quite the same, um, you know, the child's in a, in a playpen in the bathroom. You're trying to drink wine out on the, on the patio <laughs> right. or whatever. It's, it's Very not romantic. A, it's so romantic. <laughs> totally. So that was kind of like, that's gone. And then rentals, we didn't like the inconsistency. We were mm-hmm. like, not like luxury because we couldn't right. afford it, but just, a nice place. And we wanted to know that the things that were important to us were there, like dishes, you know, and clean sheets, like yeah. some of the, the table stakes. <laughs> 
And then the third element is, uh, you know, having your own second home. So that was the, that would have been kind of a dream, but for us, we weren't ready to sit in one spot and feel that restriction. We wanted to have multiple spots. Mm-hmm. So we're legitimately in the middle of our pregnancy and throughout having the child, we're talking about these and like, what is our solution? And the ultimate solution came as, wouldn't it be great to have a portfolio of vacation homes that had like hotel quality amenities, but they, we owned them and, but we have variety. And so that was the fantasy land. So like legitimately, it's definitely a good entrepreneurial story in the sense that that was our issue. That's what we'd like. And we thought, well, wonder if there's other people that would like this too, because clearly we can't afford one home, let alone 15 or 30 or 50. Mm -hmm. And we went out to friends and family and we shared our story and, uh, and said, you know, would you be willing to contribute some capital into a fund? And then we'll go buy some properties together. And effectively, our first fund was launched. We call private co-ownership. Effectively, co-owned three properties with 18 friends. And mm-hmm. we all contributed a couple hundred grand. We raised three and a half million bucks and we bought a home in uh, uh, Phoenix or Scottsdale, Arizona, a condo in Maui and a lake, uh, a lake home in interior British Columbia, Canada. And... These 18 people that we were the managing partner of, we um, formed a system and ultimately we started to manage these vacations and people could use the, any of the three homes. You had your, you know, your golf and your beach and your ski summer. And then very quickly, so that was 2007, the Great Recession was you know kind of well in. 2008 is kind of when it really kind of kicked off. But the unique thing for us is it created an amazing buying opportunity to buy real estate on the down. And mm-hmm. so we actually started raising more money and those friends started telling their friends and it snowballed. And in seven years, we ended up raising almost $100 million and bought 50 properties. So wow. it was just a totally a wild. We went from zero team members to 20, running the asset management and the experience. We had a whole concierge team, which we still have. They're just down the hallway right now working on uh, our existing portfolio. And it was a really wild ride where it just came from an idea, a need for our family. And because we loved it, you know, time was effectively infinite. So we worked 100 hours a week to build it. And then that was the story. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it raises a, I have so many questions. I'm always fascinated by these these stories. And one of the things mm-hmm. I'm most fascinated by with these stories is when you sit down with real estate people, you know, in any space. You know, I spend a lot of time with multifamily people. I talk to people that do Airbnb, talk to people that do luxury, people that buy yeah. in like total war zones and like want to flip <laughs> something. Like the one thing that every realtor has in common, or every real estate, not realtor, every real estate person has in common, is they yeah. disagree with what should be invested in. You know, like you know, the multifamily <laughs> people say, "Don't buy single family. That's so dumb." The people that do Airbnb <laughs> are like, "Don't do uh, multifamily. That's way too much brain damage." Like. Other people say don't buy luxury because if a recession hits, you know, you're going to have issues there. Um, yeah. What was it about the luxury space? I know you wanted a place to um, enjoy yourself, but what yeah. uh, what did you see in luxury specifically from an investment standpoint that made you feel confident in that direction? You know, what? at the time, we didn't know, to be perfectly honest. It was like, we just thought there was the two things that had happened is one that we always thought as a fallback from a, at the end of the day, if we own a vacation home or part of vacation home, that's a good investment because we can use it. So you had this like this, this scale, this uh, financial decision-making around this lifestyle decision-making. Mm-hmm. If I was buying a commercial building or self-storage, it would be like purely on the economics. So what we liked about it was that there's a value for this vacation side that I'm, mm-hmm. so how we, how we evaluate the financials, okay, part the capital, we're buying on a down, presumably, you know, great recession. Obviously, in hindsight, it certainly was on the down. But at the time, you don't know how much lower it's going. It was a pretty scary time, 2008 to 10. Yeah. But we're like, park capital. I like, take our safe capital, put it into some real estate that was on the down cycle. It's not going to get much worse. And it probably is going to get a lot better if, you know, at some point, it's going to go better. At some yeah. point, it's real estate, it's bricks and mortar. 
but this value of this vacation, I'm already spending 10 or 20 grand a year yeah. vacationing, spending hotels. Yeah. Now I'm spending a third of that by being a, an owner in this. I'm right. saving money every single time I go. So for sure. me, that was actually the initial equation. Now it's got a lot more sophisticated since then, yeah. but that was what we were told ourselves in, in the beginning. And basically for the first kind of six, seven years, it's like, okay, it may grow in value. I don't know for sure, but I guarantee I'm getting great vacations. So the, the combined effect was was positive, net positive, yeah. like from a, an investment perspective. Yeah. Now, since then, Eric has definitely come a long way. Like we definitely have way deeper underwriting, how we look at vacation homes. We have a developments division. We have a restorations company that's in Italy. And they all look at it through a slightly different lens around what is the, the, the goal of the owner? Is it purely financial? Is it lifestyle financial? And most of our projects our combination of lifestyle and financials. So sure. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. I, I want to say one thing though, you mentioned yeah. about all the different segments. The reality is they're all good, you know, and if you mm-hmm. had a big portfolio of cash, I would have a little piece of everything. They all are really good. So I'll be the unbiased one to say mine's not the best. And I think that everyone uh, has its own specific merits based on your own really unique real estate portfolio, whether it's commercial, industrial, multifamily, student housing, like they all serve and need hospitality. Mm-hmm. I just think we'd be fit a nice um, slice of the investment pie that could be quite successful for people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am curious, you mentioned like raising money, you know, and buying while the economy was down, you're able to buy things like, and that's something that, I mean, every, every person that's not wealthy fears recessions, everyone that is wealthy loves recessions because they can go buy <laughs> stuff for pennies on the dollar. So, yeah. um, but the question is when it comes to raising funds during a yes. time like that, when people are cautious about where their money's going, even people that have a lot of money to spend are very careful with uh, who they're giving money to. How did you go about building trust with people to where they were comfortable in a recession saying, I'll take this money I could use for something and I'm going to give it to you to go hopefully make more of it? Yeah, you know what? It's a good point. I never, you know, I love the theme of this podcast, which is so grateful being on it, but building your network. We did build a pretty powerful network over that time. You know, at the end of the day, it ended up being well over 400 equity investors over the course of like an eight year run. And so when you think about that amount of people, and they're all accredited high net worth families. And so I got a chance to build, um, this, you know, kind of wonderful group of people around me that helped to support me on the journey. But the biggest thing wasn't me trying to find 400 people. It was trying to find the first 10 to 20 and let them find the next person, just mm. serve the heck out of them. And then ask them, would you have an introduction for me? And then they would, they would expand and bring in you know, their network to you. And all of a sudden it just, it has become that snowball effect. So because of the, the third party referral, like it's not coming from the horse's mouth, it's coming from a referral from someone else. That allowed us to grow in a time of uncertainty. Mm. If it's you out soliciting it, you can assume every high net worth family is being solicited by a hundred different deals. So it's mm-hmm. really hard when it comes directly from the person trying to get the product. But if it can be your network who's already vested with you, spread the word. It's like instantaneously the guard down, instantaneously that person who might be one or two degrees of separation away is willing to listen to your story over the other 99 stories that are being pitched you know, simultaneously at them through social media, phone calls, you know, their banker or whatever. So that was the most powerful thing for us to grow at, you know, certainly an exponential level, but in the terms of raising money, it was, it was pretty quick. Were the first 10 just people you already had close relationships with? Yes. For for the old friends and family, you know, like it was just, thank goodness I could list all 16 names. There were 16 people plus me and my wife and my parents. So that Mm -hmm. was 18 of us total that all invested shoulder to shoulder. And I still have endless gratitude for them on stroking. I didn't have a bank account at the time. It was, uh, I had to write them, uh, write a check to me personally. 
And then we had to get a bank account set up. So we were that much in the infancy of our business, but they all, I clearly I was passionate at the time about what we tried to accomplish and they were aligned. So very grateful. They wrote those, you know, six figure checks and jumped on board. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, that's absolutely huge. And that's something, I mean, Travis talks about all the time, like digging your well before you're thirsty, you know, which I know it didn't originate with him, but he's the person that told me. So in my mind, uh, that's uh, I always attribute that to him, but it's, it is so true. Like I see people who you know, especially it's the worst one. It's someone that's like continuously starting new businesses and they go tap into a new network and try to leech off of somebody. It's yeah. so much more valuable to have an existing audience in your corner that you can go to like those mm-hmm. 10 or 11 or 12 people yeah. that are raving fans trust you with their life and their money, you know, right. to go into a project. That's, that's huge. I agree. Um, I agree. So, I mean, another element of this is like, when people start figuring out something that works, there's mm-hmm. usually a lot of people going, you know, oh, well, you're not sharing that with anybody, you know, or you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna share your secret how you did it. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm always fascinated by people like you, cause you kind of share your secrets pretty openly. Like you've, you're stepping into the education space a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. trying to show people the path that you've taken. Uh, what put that drive in you to say like, okay, I did this, I'm making really good money. Uh, I'm sure you have a bank account now. Um, you know, what, what made you say, like, I'm going to start helping other people kind of figure out this path. Yeah. You know what it's been, I feel like our core purpose of our company is, is helping people live happier, healthier, more fulfilling lives. And we do that through providing these unique real estate solutions. That's always been our, essentially our mantra in the company. So if helping people is at the core, 
I kind of, I found it for myself as we started to achieve, and I say, when I say success, I mean like any entrepreneurial road, it's kind of like this, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's it, the trajectory continues to go up, but we've have these dips and these hard times, these challenging times. I'm happy to share any, any stories of challenges because it's certainly not always rosy, but we're, we are where we are and we've learned a tremendous amount positive, negative about this business. And I, I love helping people. Like, so I was, now I have a really great team, probably got about 30 people on the payroll and another, you know, 60, 70 around the world that are almost permanent contractors with us that are, are delivering these experiences and executing on our, our plans. I want to hit a larger number of people. So yeah. social media, I've been terrible. Like literally I looked on Instagram the other day and I had done like three posts since March 15, 2020. I'm going to come back to that. So park that. But uh, when the COVID essentially hit and I'm like, I need to get back out there sharing the story. Mm -hmm. So I didn't find Instagram was the best tool for us. We are going to post some more, but we launched YouTube. And one thing I do like talking about is just these little snippets of ways you can help. So launch this YouTube channel. It's free, like all YouTube channels, hop on and we're doing 10 to 20 minutes snippets about buying homes, selling homes, managing Airbnb, developing private clubs, you know, all the above. And it's been only gosh, two months and we haven't promoted it. So this is our kind of our starting point of telling people. So shameless plug, I would be super grateful if your listeners would go and check it out and maybe subscribe. That would mean a lot to me as we're trying to spread the word that would help fulfill fill my bucket deeply, but it's fun. You know, I just like, I like people learning more. And unfortunately people make a lot of mistakes in this space because buying a vacation home is so emotionally driven. It's, it doesn't have the same financial underwriting you would do if you put an investment in a commercial building where you'd think it through, you make sure the math makes sense. People buy vacation homes when they're on for like a three-day vacation. And it's so wrong. It's It should carry a financial component and a lifestyle component. So we're trying to educate people in this regard, learning from our mistakes and our wins along the way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I love you mentioned before you hit record, like you've just been kind of building quietly. You know, you mentioned you've been building the company mm. quietly. And I think that's that says a lot. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, it, put the cart before the horse, you know, and they, they go for the crazy marketing and they've sold one house, you know, and then you've got <laughs> this kind of imbalance there. And I, I think there's a yeah. balance there, you know, like, I think that that's part of the game now. So you've got to get into it and go full force in that direction. But I think it's really cool that this is something that's coming built on the back of, you know, 15 plus years of experience in this space. Mm -hmm. You're obviously doing a lot of other really, really cool things. And for me, as someone who does a lot of marketing, I always get excited when I see that because now it's just mm -hmm. fuel to the fire, like everything yes. with YouTube, social, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, it's all going to just amplify everything that you're doing and to still yeah. from Grant Cardone, 10X what you're doing pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you mentioned some of the times where there are those downs um, and I'm sure mm -hmm. you've had those. Uh, I'm sure COVID uh, played some challenges on some <laughs> yeah. things. You know, what are some of maybe the memorable downs and looking back, you'd go, if I had known this, I could have avoided that down. Sure. Yeah. And I don't mind sharing. And even though this is kind of part that's a little more like they were tough in the time, like at the time you just, mm -hmm. you just, you kind of just, sh you know, shell in and just do everything you can to kind of survive. But I, one is like super easy for me to remember because it was March 15th, 2020, mm -hmm. my 40th birthday, which we're just finishing 75 hard. So I'm sure some of your listeners is yeah. Andy Fursell is 75 hard. My wife and I did it together fit. We were healthy. Business was on a great trajectory. And March 15th comes and no, no one shows up to the party. We had to work to our traveling Asia, basically on the March 16th. And that's good um, timing. <laughs> yeah. Very good timing. And everything shuts down. Our business shuts down. And we had at that time, a mix of business. Uh, the majority of our clients are Canadian based 
And so we really got locked within the borders. So our properties around the world at the time, I think we had about a little over 40 or so, mm-hmm. basically got shut down and mothballed. We had rental properties as well, some luxury rentals. They got shut down and there's an expectation of from the clients to return proceeds, even though it wasn't an obligation. It was a really hard time, mm-hmm. like airlines and anyone, you're kind mm-hmm. of holding out of cash. We pay back 100% refunds for everyone. We never, uh, we wanted to make sure playing the long game that we want those people to come back down the road, but that sucked up all the cash and all the capital. And you went from this like total high, you know, to like a total low. And it just, to be honest, it sucked. Like it was a horrible, difficult six months and dark. And you start to like uh, think about like what you do if the business didn't survive. And, you know, you reach into your reserves and then those start to get exhausted up and you just have to like, fight to find your way through. And we made it through, obviously we're on the other side and we found really good. Certain parts of our business will never be the same. It's definitely a, a hurt certain aspects of the business and others have escalated. Mm-hmm. And with, you know, I'll tell some of the things we're excited about going forward, but you know, this shifting in travel is you know, we'll definitely have the experience in the brand to kind of latch onto it and watch some growth come. But certain parts of our business will never be the same. They've downsized 50, 60%. And um, it's been, uh, it was kind of a bummer. So what I learned though, is you lean on those around you and those around you should lean on you. Like, it, are you really found out at that time who your core group really was? Like who had your mm-hmm. back and who, unfortunately, everyone was scared. Like I have empathy for everyone. Everyone's scared at the time, but you know, people do some bad things during when they're scared. And mm-hmm. um, so I got empathy for whether people treat us fairly during that time or not. But at the end of the day, you really found out who your kind of your core tribe was and, and supported you along that journey. And without them, Without a doubt, we never would have got through the way we did and be where we are today. Is there anything that you've implemented since that? You know, any mentioned some things will never be the same. And I'm assuming some of that would have to be just even how you actually carry out business. Um, is yes. there is there anything that you've changed where you go, if a 2020 level event, knock on wood, happens again, <laughs> you know, we have this in place where like it's not going to hit us as hard. Yes. You know what? It's uh, the interesting thing. It's it's our second big hit from something totally out of left field. The first one was 2018. We have a project on Hawaii. It's all finished now, but it was, we, it was kind of, it was a hard, hard project. Developing projects in Hawaii, very difficult called the residences of Laulea. Um, But it's a beautiful spot. Some are super proud of, but right when we got ready for sales launch in 2018, the volcano erupted on the big island of Hawaii. And even though it was like a hundred miles from where our property was, and there was zero risk of damage, it the the news portrayed of the yeah. eruption is that like people were like leaving in kayaks, yeah. like yeah. it was right. it was it wasn't the case. But the island shut down, and and uh, I've shared this story a couple times now. Only that like very like once on my wife's podcast. That's actually the only one time I should say it was hard. Like my friends' livelihoods were affected in the island. Our livelihoods were affected. We were so deep into it, and when sales stopped. Um, what we learned, and then the pandemic hit two years later, we learned is we weren't, we didn't have enough plan B's in place, mm-hmm. plan B, C, D, E, and F. So you can't prepare yourself for every eventuality because you never know. But after hitting twice in two years, something that would you would think be a once in a lifetime event mm-hmm. happened to me twice in 24 months was we need to have really good plan B's. And so whether it's COVID 2025 or a hurricane or uh, a war, you know, these, mm-hmm. these horrible things have happened in the world. I'm, I'm going to be way better prepared to manage the blind spots and they're blind for a reason. You don't know when they're going to come, mm-hmm. but you can be well resourced, more capital on the sidelines, have your contingencies set up. And I won't enter any project now without deep, deep contingencies because 
you know, when you get punched in the throat again a couple of times in a row, you you learn quickly. A couple of those put us to the edge. Like it was, uh, and it's not a fun feeling being on the edge. So no. we're, um, we made it through. So now we'll just be smarter going forward. Yeah, especially with investors, because it's not just your money. You've got investor money. And and there were a good amount of real estate investors that were, you know, struggling to pay out to the people that had invested with them and didn't have those reserves, you know? No, for sure. Yeah. You, you mentioned having the tribe of people around you to lift you up, which is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this show is based on that concept. I yes. mean, <laughs> it's so important to have those people that have walked the road before you that can, you know, give you the fast pass essentially to take you to that yeah. next level. Um, and in the meantime, you can also lean back and help people that are behind you in the position you yeah. were a few years ago. But I am curious, like there's a level of strategy and and processes and plans. There's mm-hmm. having a community of people around you that can help support you and give you advice and put you in the right direction. So I got to ask you the question we ask everybody that comes on the show. Yeah, fire away. Is it the who you know or the what you know that's more important and why? That's a really good question. Um, thinking about it, I would suggest it's actually a combination. I guess if I could almost put it in equal weight, you only get to who you know based on what you know. In my mind is like, so obviously what I know is real estate. So there are there are people that I, I want to know and there are people that probably want to know me now that are within this space. And so I think that they kind of are intertwined a bit, but absent of either or, you know, you, you can't, you can only learn so much by yourself, which is why it's who you know to help you. You can only get connected with people based on what you know, because they're not going to be connected with you if you're down with fitness and they're a real estate entrepreneur, you may not, you may diverging paths around, you know, careers and interests, maybe not the best example, but an example. So in any event, I think it's both, but you, you can't be successful without either, but the who probably would have a slight edge on the weight because absent of a network, I don't think anything's possible. Like, unless you're truly just a rock star wizard by yourself, that can totally do it all, all alone. But I still think you need a network of advisors and support around you to help carry anything to the next level. Right. Yeah. No, that whenever someone answers that it's what, you know, my first thought is always who taught you what, you know, (laughs) there's always some first person, you know, Yeah. and no, I think that's, I think that's great. I want to ask one last question before we dive into kind of a rapid round and we close out, but one thing that, you know, we've talked about some of the gaffes that people make, whether promoting themselves as a guru when they haven't done anything or Mm -hmm. uh, not having reserves in place or all, all these different things. One thing I am curious about is how do you make sure you're building relationships? So obviously in your mind at the forefront is always raising money for deals, you know, with the business side, how do you build authentic relationships with people that aren't based in like desperation to get them to write a check or wire money? Like, how do you make sure that you're building a genuine, authentic value-based relationship with somebody? You nailed it. You have to be genuine. And it's um for, for me, even though we've raised a lot of money for a lot of different projects, I actually look at that as completely secondary to product development and, and being passionate about what you're delivering. People will tell the difference when you're selling them on something mm-hmm. or you're talking about something you're passionate about. It's way easier for someone to gravitate towards passion than to a sales pitch. Mm. So everything we've done, you know, everything I can say, there's not a single thing I've done that I haven't absolutely loved and gone absolutely all in on. Like our, our Italy division is a good example. Like we buy runes and restore them for families in central Tuscany. And mm-hmm. like, people are like, how do you get into that? I'm like, because I personally loved it. So mm-hmm. I'm all in. So when people hear me tell the story about it, a lot of times they're very attracted. They lean in and they're curious. And then as a result, they're like, well, can I participate and say, well, actually, yeah, we have something coming up or we had something in the past. 
So I find like, I believe I'm certainly a genuine person, but I'm very passionate, enthusiastic guy. If I don't love it, I'll never be able to be genuine to sell it. Yeah. So it's just, that's why I think you have to have that deep level of love for what you have. And then you talk and you know what, and you, and you share your passion, people gravitate towards that energy. Yeah. Love it. Well, look, I know we only have like three minutes left. So I'm going to move us into our our random round here. First question I got to ask, what profession other than your own, do you think it'd be fun to attempt? I am really digging biohacking right now. I think that is going to be a massive, massive business unit and industry in the next decade. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning lots about it myself and participating in some biohacking stuff. So I'm honestly, that might be my next thing. I'm not a dog. I, I have no education in it, but I love it that much. So you never know. Uh, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Yeah, I can't even think. You know what I'd say is, is Bono. You know, I used to be a big mm. YouTube fan. I haven't followed their music as much the last decade as I used to, but kind of growing up for the first 30 years, my favorite band and interesting guy and entrepreneur and trying to do good in the world. And so I'd say Bono would be a cool guy. And he's just seems cool. So yeah, for sure. How do you like to learn best? Is it books, blogs, podcasts, masterminds, mentorships? What's your favorite way to to gather new information? For me, it would be by myself, maybe podcasts. I used to love reading, but I actually really struggle getting through a book now. And I, I think it's actually bad. I really, you know, think turning the page of book is still a powerful thing, but I love podcasts. So I'm out for walks or exercise. And then definitely masterminds. I've gravitated to those and found some remarkable ones that have, that's how I met Travis is mm-hmm. uh, through a mastermind. Um, so it's amazing how your network can grow through like-minded people, but that would be the best way that I could find consuming knowledge in person and then podcasts. Give me a glimpse of your morning routine. What does that look like? You have to do the very short version, but I think the old saying, if you own your morning, you own the day. For mm-hmm. me, I'm extremely passionate about it. And it kind of starts the night before 30 minutes before bed, getting prepped so your morning's organized, but effectively get up around 5 a.m., love the 5 a.m. club, and you know, a couple hours before the world wakes up, exercise, usually try to leave a creative project out. I don't mind diving into work, but I try to do only the things I want to do. So I set up the night before. So when I get up, I'm like, I'm enthused to actually pop out of bed because I can tackle something I want to do, not like grindy email responses mm-hmm. or something like that. And then um, I intermittent fast. So I uh, have like kind of a bullet coffee type uh, keto coffee in the morning, which kind of fills me up till noon and then um, get the kids off to school and uh, make sure they're all taken care of and then get into the workday around 830 or so. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. The 5am was so hard for me because I came from like, I was, I used to just be a solopreneur video editor. So I would just yeah. literally, I'd eat dinner at like, you know, seven and then I would work till I just couldn't stay awake. And that's like not <laughs> healthy. And then I got married and was like, this isn't viable. And I had a kid. I was like, this definitely isn't viable. Um, so the 5am club is something that I had to fight really hard to become a morning person. And I'm still not quite there, but I love that time. Like once I, once I actually, my brain mm-hmm. wakes up at like five fifteen. Yeah. Like it's an amazing thing. And, and you like dread when other people are going to start waking up, you know, you're like, Oh, the East coast people are waking up right now and they're going to start <laughs> sending emails. Um, uh-huh. I think the ultimate hack for that that's helped me is I've always enjoyed mornings, but I wasn't necessarily a 5 a.m. guy yeah. is having something you're really excited to do. Mm-hmm. Think of every day, like Christmas date. What's the one thing you'd want to do yeah. that next day? Set it up the night before. So when you get out of bed, you're like excited. Yeah. That would help me tremendously actually make the mornings more productive and be more alert. Yeah. I love that. love that. What's your go-to pump-up song? Macklemore, Can't Hold Us. 
Hmm. Love it. I, I, I need to give a point to everybody that doesn't just say an Eminem song. Everybody's like Eminem, Eminem. That's like always the <laughs> default answer. So I'm glad to get any variation from that. Nakamura Candle. It's so good. My kid, I start dancing. My kids laugh at me every time, but it's, uh, it's, it's been out for 15 years. I love that song still. So, uh, <laughs> what's something that you're not very good at? Is it dancing or is there something else? I know I'm definitely bad at dancing. That's for sure. Worse at singing. Um, Everyone assumes I'm Canadian. I'm good at hockey. I'm like the worst skater in Canada, I think. I, I grew up skiing. So people say, oh, you must, you must have played hockey. I'm like, I'm terrible at hockey. So don't ask me to play hockey. I can run around on the ice a little bit, but I just fall down. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and last question. I know you mentioned the YouTube channel, but what's the best place for people to connect with you online the most? Is it YouTube right now? Is it through Instagram? You're going to be posting more there. Where's the, what's the best place? Yeah, great. Uh, YouTube for sure. I really want to get that channel going. It means the world if people could subscribe and like and comment. Like, what do people want to learn from me? And I'll just shoot a video on it and put it up there. So yeah. I am on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn. Um, we post more regularly on LinkedIn, but um, those three channels, but YouTube by far would be the most important since we're just trying to get it going. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for joining me on today's show and just for sharing so much knowledge to our audience. I think they're really going to appreciate it. My pleasure. You are a great host and no, thank, uh, you. thank you so much for having me. And I love listening to your content and Trav's content. So keep doing what you're doing. You're providing a lot of value to the world. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.